You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. God wants you and I to be patient. And to help us with that, he's given us promises. He's given us prophecies. He's even given us, uh, you know, a picture of what paradise will look like. What I don't think we often remember is that because God wants us to be patient, he also gives us problems. God wants you and I to be patient. And because of that, God gives us problems in this life. He allows things to come our way that are not the way that we would have designed for them. And he even designs things. He's fixed it in such a way that during hardships and times of trial and testing, we learn if, if, if in no other way we've learned what James chapter one has told us. That the testing of our faith is what produces patience. That's how James opened up the book. If you were not here or if you forgot. And he said, let steadfastness or patience have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We need to remember that God wants us to be patient and that he sends problems our way oftentimes to help us along with that. He not only has given us promises, he's not only given us prophecies that have been fulfilled. It's not just that we have the hope of the paradise that is out there in the uh, in the future that we can even see a picture of when we read the Gospels or when we read the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not only that It's that in this life we have trials. And as those trials come. Those things are producing something in our lives that God desperately wants you and I to have, which is an endurance and a steadfastness and a patience that trusts him. You know, last week, as Carlos left off in our beginning of James chapter five, he pointed us to the fact that we need to be treasuring the kingdom of God above the things in this world. He pointed us to strengthening our hearts for the Lord's coming straight out of our text that James said that the Lord's coming is near or it is at hand. It's it's imminent. It's on its way. And they really felt that way at that time. And the truth of the matter is, is that I think as the days progress, we too feel that Jesus Christ's return is near. We don't need to see it as something that has to happen in our lifetime, but we need to treasure the kingdom and look forward to that with with uh, the, the kind of intensity that says no matter what's going on in life, I'm waiting for that eagerly waiting for the appearing of the Lord. In verses one to six of James chapter five, just by recap. 
James had these strong words. He had strong warnings for the rich, the self-indulgent, those who by fraud were seeking their own treasure and exploiting uh, the poor. And he wasn't condemning them per se, but what he was saying is that the cries of the poor that you've exploited are what condemn you and your own fraud, your own misdirected greed, your heart is what condemns you. And in considering the text from the angle that, that uh, Carlos did, what he, what he charged us with or what he pleaded with us with on behalf of the Lord is, hey, don't be those people. <laughs> Don't be those wicked. Don't be those who are so in love with the world that your treasure is here and it's on earth. But rather be those who would look to the future and essentially realize that the Lord longs to be your treasure. You guys remember that? That's how we ended last week. The Lord longs to be your treasure. He's pleading with us. If we flip the text back on its head and consider it in the context of the, 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 the plea that's out there and what God's designed for us is what we realize is that Carlos brought us that appeal straight out of the word. And as the Lord longs to be our treasure, James is actually exposing wicked hearts that don't trust him. And wicked hearts of people who exploit the poor, right? So he has these warnings for the wicked rich. And it's, it's essentially a comfort for the righteous poor. Those who, the last verse that we would have read, essentially says, they don't even condemn you. They don't come back. They don't try to retaliate. You've murdered them and you've condemned them. And James wants to comfort the righteous poor, and we should see ourselves in that text. Even if we are not materially poor, we should see ourselves as exiles, those who have been written to, right? And even just as a, a, an example, remember, James is writing to Christians who are in the dispersion. They're all scattered all over the place because there's persecution that has come. There's a famine, a.k.a. a pandemic, and even some of them are relating to God and to their brothers and sisters the same way that they would when they were trying to go after political overturning of the town. He's saying, yo, get back on track. And he's saying, God wants you to be patient and God's going to make and help you to be that way by sending things your way that you don't plan for. And as he reassures our hearts, he begins to tell us he does not want us to retaliate. That's essentially what he's saying. He doesn't want us to retaliate. He calls us to patience. The first thing he calls us to is that verse seven where Jeff started today. He calls us to the patience of a farmer. A patience of a farmer that waits for the early rains and also waits for the later rains. The early rains come around October, November, no different than for us. The later rains, they come April, May, right? April showers bring May flowers. We say that all the time. It's no different. He said, look to the example of the farmer who waits with his grain and waits with all of his work. And he patiently waits for rain to come so that the soil is soft and he can plant the seed. And he waits then for the harvest to come months and months and months and months later. Look to the patience of a farmer. And be patient like the farmer. Then he goes and he tells us that we should be patient with one another. 
Be patient, you also, right? And don't grumble against one another. James knows that when you're in the middle of some stressful time, it's real easy to get moody with each other, to be short-tempered, to be lacking in patience, to be impatient. When you're, when you're in a place where there's high stress and things are not going the way that you would want them to go and when there is trouble that is coming your way, trials make us so moody. And so he says, not just be patient like the farmer, but be patient with each other and don't grumble and complain against each other. And he calls us right back to what he's already said to us in James chapter four. You're not the judge. Don't judge people then. And from here, James moves into the place that we're going to park for today. And he has a third call of patience for us. He said, be patient like the farmer, be patient with one another. And now he's calling us to be patient like the prophets. Again, warnings for the rich, those who their activity is actually the condemnation that they will receive, but then an encouragement and a comfort to us to say, God sees you. God cares about you. He knows the things that you're suffering from, the things that you've experienced, the things that you are experiencing, the trials and tribulations that are coming your way. And he wants you to be patient through them. Don't try to take matters into your own hands. And also, man, you guys bear with one another, love one another, be patient with one another. Don't grumble against each other. And now he says, be patient like the prophets who have gone before you. You guys following that? James 5 verses 10 and 11 is what we'll focus on today. As an example of suffering and patience, the word of God says, brothers could say brothers and sisters. It's the word for brethren. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James is now giving us this third call to, repay, uh, to, to patience, this third encouragement towards patience. And in saying that, he's, he's building a case on an assumption that I think we here may take for granted and miss a lot if we're not very familiar with the Old Testament narrative of who the prophets are and of who Job is, right? He's telling us to look to their example, to look to them and to consider them. And he's saying, like, let that serve you. And this is he's building a case on it. He's literally like putting all the all the chips down. Everything is built on this. I want you to look back to the prophets. I want you to look back to the life of Job. If we're not familiar with them, then what happens is it's just kind of like it's just words and it's not really helpful. It's like if I tell you guys like, hey, man, I want you guys to remember just how gentle Miss Davis was. There's three or four people who understand that. But everybody else is like, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. Who's Miss Davis, right? And so I want you to know the reason why I decided we're only going to look at two verses today is because we got time. And we need to go back and we need to look at some of these individuals that he's calling us to. And we need to bear that in mind and allow that to serve us toward being patient. So remember, God wants us to be patient and he sends problems our way to be patient and he wants us to consider the prophets and to be like them in it. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets. 
He says an example of suffering and, and the word for suffering really leads us to understanding distress. As an example of distress, the things that you're experiencing and how to persevere through those things, take the prophets. As an example of patience, he says, which is long suffering, right? Especially in the, in the, in the context of experiencing trouble in life. He's saying as an example of how to suffer long through that, and in a let to a lesser degree, uh, as an example of being slow to avenge yourself in those times when things are coming your way and it's an injustice or some kind of an oppression or it's something that has happened to you. I mean, these folks are being persecuted. Their, their homes are being taken from them. Their lives are being killed. Their families are be, uh, being uh, torn apart. Right. He says as an example of how to go through that kind of distress and how to long suffer through that and to not take matters into your own hands and try to make a name for yourself and retaliate. I want you to look at the prophets. The prophets are a picture, a figure for us in this. You look back to the prophets in the Old Testament. We have some of the prophets who wrote, but there were other prophets that we don't have in the canon of scripture. But overall, the prophets were like the conscience of Israel is constantly coming back to calling us. This is the character of nature of God. This is who God is. This is how you ought to live. Worship him in spirit and in truth is like it's like Jesus is encapsulating that as a prophet. Right. When he says that. But that's their message over and over. Like, be real. Don't just be religious. He says, think about the prophets. And when you look at the prophets of old, this is what you'll find. Constantly, they are condemning the worship of the people because of these things. They're worshiping false idols. They're worshiping false gods. They're forgetting God. They have a lack of concern for the poor. They care nothing about the injustices around them. They think, I'll just preach and I won't practice any love. I'll love God, but I don't have to love the people around me. And because the prophets are usually not diplomatic and not very politically correct, they never got things. Go it didn't go their way. <laughs> They weren't received well, whether they were talking to their own people or when they were outside talking to others in Samaria or in, in uh, it, you know, it didn't, it didn't matter. When the prophets came with the message of being patient, what you find over and over again is that they were banished because they were calling the people to flee from idols, turn back to God, worship him, worship him rightly. Love your neighbor, serve the poor, care for the widow. James didn't make that up. Our concern for the, the, the orphan is, 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 is something that is a part of the law of God. It says if you really love people, this is how you're going to relate to others. Another thing they did was things were usually doom and gloom. The prophets are telling you, hey, you're going into exile. You're going to be experiencing some hard times. Times like you've never experienced before. But I want you to know there's hope on the other side of that. I want you to press through that. I want you to be patient and endure and long suffer through that exile. And you actually have kind of a, a large portion of our Old Testament is characterized by prophets who spoke before the exile, during the exile and after the exile. And there's this unified message that goes through the whole time. It's that call to the people to hope in God and be patient for his coming. I have a message for us. Hope in God and be patient for his coming. 
in the midst of the suffering and the trials that you're experiencing, the things that you don't understand, the things that you know exactly how that happened, the things that you brought on yourself because of sin, the things that have been done to you as an injustice that, you, you, that, that weren't warranted. I want you to be patient and hope in God and like wait, endure, suffer well. Don't waste your suffering. Let it train and teach you. Let it lead you to becoming like Jesus, like God. Let it, let it lead you to being patient. Jesus is patient. Real patient. <laughs> Jesus had disciples that he, they were walking behind him. And it's like, how long do I have to put up with you? And he goes on with them, right? Keeps on telling them the same thing over and over again. I want us to consider really quickly just and, and, and I'm realizing already I'm way off topic. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you the homework. I want you to go back and I want you to read your Bibles this week. All right. We already put something or at least I sent it to Barry this morning. I was a little bit late. Here's the deal. We already placed for us the reflection questions, which is going to lead you to go reading at least the end of the book of Job. But I want you to read Jeremiah. I want you to read Isaiah. I want you to read Amos. Right. We've got videos. If you weren't with us this year earlier, as soon as COVID hit, we walked through some of the minor prophets. And it was so, so, so helpful to look at these books that a lot of us are not really familiar with and to see the faithfulness of God and also to see the call to true religion and patience during suffering. So I'm going to speed through some of this and I'm not going to like belabor the point too much. To be honest with you, the point of the message has already been made. God wants you to not be patient and he sends problems your way. When I was given that pregnant pause up here, not to be theatrical, I was quiet and I asked the Lord, should I say anything else? And I was prepared to walk away. And that would have been it. We'd have saying it, we'd have left. All right? Because that's the message. Be patient as you have problems. Here's the deal, Isaiah. This week I thought about Carrie. Carrie brought to us a word that challenged her back in April as we were going through the minor prophets. And she said, well, it's the same as I was looking at Isaiah chapter one and the things that Isaiah said in chapter one. And summarizing that for you, here's what he said. He's calling the people to repentance because he's saying they have a useless worship that has no concern for those who are suffering around them. She was challenged by that. And I think if you all have been aware of what's going on, the shift in Christendom right now and the parting of the sea is really that there's a camp that tells you you don't have to worry about any of that. Just preach the gospel. You don't have to worry about people's lack of food, shelter and clothing. You don't have to worry about uh, serving the widow. You don't have to worry about the orphan. Just preach. And because of all the social injustices that keep coming and keep coming and keep coming, that, that literally like you look at the how much human trafficking, the fact that, you know, I mean, you guys heard Krista stand up here last week and say, I participated in a sting this week. Rescuing people who are in sex slavery. In our backyard, y'all know Ventura is leading in those things. It's all underground. It's covert. It's not easily seen, but it's happening. 
And so anyway, as you live and your eyes are wide open, what you're seeing over and over again is that these things are real for us. And when you look to Isaiah, like Carrie did, what you realize is I don't actually get an excuse out of this. What I realize is that God cares about that. And God even said, your worship is, I don't even hear it. <laughs> your worship is worthless. Isaiah brought that message to the people before they went into exile and it did not go well for him. He suffered for that. He was banished from being a person who would be like the hometown hero. Jeremiah. Jeremiah this week really encouraged me because he's probably the most human example that we have. When you go and you read of him, what you see is you don't see this big supernatural like he's just a, a crazy strong individual. He's quiet. He's a peace. He's like a number nine on the Enneagram. Right. He's like a peacemaker. He doesn't when he when he's wrong, he's peace faking, but he ain't never peace breaking. Right. He's not the person that's just charging at folks. He's quiet, mild mannered, and he just wants to keep the peace. And God singles him out to go before the people and to preach a message and you know what the message does it does everything but bring about peace <laughs> God calls him and gives him words to the people that are going into tough times and the problem for Jeremiah is that the words that God places in his mouth always leads him into conflict and so Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because everyone and and when I say everyone, what I mean is all the people. When I say all the people, what I mean is er everybody, okay? They all rejected him. Nobody listened to Jeremiah's message. Jeremiah, I, I, you know, for me, I look at a person, like, think about it. We talk about Jeremiah now. We look at the Lamentations. You guys know Lamentations 3. We know all about how God's mercies are new every morning. What he was really saying is like, God, why do I live? I don't even want to be alive. And God had to like challenge him and even rebuke him for being a whiner and a complainer because he already told him, go and tell the people and they're not going to listen to you. But that's what I have for you. And, and James is telling us to look at people like Jeremiah and let that serve us and to remind us of the fact that problems and trials and suffering comes our way. And he wants us to be patient just like they were. A lot of people would say that Jeremiah suffered so much opposition that he was regarding regarded kind of as a, uh, a typecast toward the Messiah, Jesus, who Isaiah had told us would come as a suffering servant. He suffered so much that that's just how they feel like you look back and it's like, yeah, Jeremiah was really like a first picture of what Christ's life would be like. Jeremiah's life was a class act failure. In every truest sense of the word, the way that we look at it in our natural sense, he, he lived a lifetime to be regarded by everyone as a total failure. Not impressive at all. I promise you that. And James puts him before us and said, look to him and remember and be patient like him. When you think about the book of Lamentations, these are confessions that Jeremiah had written. These are confessions. These are these are these are places of lament, right? He knew that the people needed that. He had lament in his own soul. He had anguish. And these are like the recorded conversations that he had with God this week. Read lamentations so that I can save you and spare you of 
just handing it to you. God wants to feed your soul this weekend in the word of God. Be thankful for the word of God. Before you're thankful for a turkey dinner, be thankful for the word of God. Express that and be grateful this week. Open up the word of God this week and read Lamentations. Read Jeremiah. Read Isaiah. I want you to read the Bible this week and allow it to wash over you and allow it to lead you to understanding what James meant when he said, I want you to be patient and consider the prophets. You have people like Amos. We got to look a little bit at Amos earlier this year. When you looked at Amos, at the end of the day, he was like, just he's from a small town. He's in the southern kingdom of Judah. He's, he's called by God to go to the, the northern kingdom. And he just tells him, I want you to preach a strong message against the rich who are becoming richer and richer on the backs of the poor. I want you to go call them out about that. And in the midst of that, he condemns their worship because it has a lack of connection to real life. That's that conversation. You're talking about it, empty lips, but by your deeds, you're denying it. It's the stuff that Jesus would go and he'd tell people, you whitewashed tombs. Or, you know, it's just like, hey, you, 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 in my face, you say a whole lot of good. And when I turn around and when you go about, <laughs> you don't serve me, you don't even love me. That's the kind of message that Amos had. Now you guys gotta realize, I actually am growing more and more and more frustrated with the way that the evangelical church does what I'm doing right now, explains to you what the word of God says and doesn't say, Jeff, you're impatient and you need to grow. Does that make sense? I picked on Jeff because I know I can say that to Jeff. The, the reality is, is that God raises up prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers to do that. I need you to grow because I need you to serve the rest of the church. The reality is you don't need me to do a Bible study up here. You need to grow in patience and you need me to know where you at to tell you you lack love for your brother. You need to grow in patience. You're lethargic in your walk. That's the reality. And so I'm telling you guys as a warning now, I know God has sent me to Ventura as a prophet. Prophet's not welcome in his own hometown. I'm not there. I know God has sent me here to call out your idols and to say the things that you don't want to be said. And as I do that, I don't look for success. I don't think it's going to grow a church really well. And I'm signed up for that. I don't think that it's going to continue to pay my bills. I'm signed up for that. And the truth is, is that if I am anything, I want to be an example for you because he's called you to do the same thing with your friends, neighbors and family. You're a prophet or you're nothing. Amos preaches hard words like that at Bethel and it gets him ran out of town. We could talk about Ezekiel. I'll just tell you this week, Star actually texted me or last week and she told me she was reading through Ezekiel with Amanda. Praise the Lord. She had questions about the Valley of Dry Bones and Amanda did and went to Star and Star's able to read that to her. And she's like, man, and it ties so much into what we've been talking about the word and just guys. The word of God, right? But here's what happened in Ezekiel's life over and over and over again. People call him like the pantomime prophet because he would actually act things out. <laughs> it's like Ezekiel chapter four. Hey, go get these stones, stack them all up, make it really heavy. Actually, I want you to lay down. And I want you to set those on you. And I want you to keep those on you for 360, I think is the days. 360 days, let those be on you because that's for every one day, for every year that the people are going to be under that kind of trouble and I want to show it and then I want you to turn over and I want you to stack the, stack them on your right side and when you do that you know why I'm doing that for 40 days or 
I want you to do that because the people of Judah are going to experience the same thing. Like he acted the things out before the people. He didn't just go and speak. Right. I think about Sean like that. He's always been the one. It's like we showed up at Cedar. He's like bringing surfboards up. And I'm like, man, I, what's happening right here? He's like acting it all out, acting it all out. But here's the thing. It's like literally pantomiming for the people what their lives are going to be like is what Ezekiel did. And, and all of that is just I mean, that's during the exile. Here's here's an application point for us. And I'm actually just going to try to land a plane by pointing back to the prophets. By pointing back to the prophets like Jeremiah, Amos, Isaiah and others, Micah, you should even read this week. One of my favorites. God is persuading us to be patient. Like the prophets before us in our problems. He's persuading us. James is like, hey. Be patient like a farmer. Come on, y'all. Be patient. Don't grumble against each other. Be patient like the prophets. Persuasion. A convincing argument that's built on factual things to point back and give you the evidences of the fact that this is the way it ought to be. And I'm calling you to it. I want that for you. This is what God wants for you. Here's a message. God is at work in our trials. Don't waste your suffering. The reason that's why I said that, right? We don't want to waste our suffering. We don't want to waste the hardship that comes our way. I, I really feel burdened, but I'm fighting for joy in the midst of it and, and desiring to see the end of all things as what the goal is. Not any of the means that are supposed to push me out there. God brings trials into our lives and they're not a surprise to him, even though they may shock us or they come up on us in ways that, you know, catch us off guard. He sends trials and he allows calamity in the lives of his servants just as much today as he did in James's day and just as much as he did in the prophet's day from the beginning. I have some texts I just read to you. Matthew chapter five. This is Jesus. James's half brother in the Beatitudes, essentially saying the same thing before J James whatever he said blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven I don't think I, I don't think I can go around the room and ask anybody not even your children is the kingdom of heaven yours and they'll say no are you going to heaven no do you want to go to heaven no do you claim rights to the kingdom no not not at all Everybody's going to say, yes, yes, yes. The kingdom of heaven are those, is, belongs to those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Jesus' words, not mine. Blessed are you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So they per persecuted the prophets who went before you. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Because your reward is is in heaven and nothing, nothing can be better than that. At the end of Matthew, Christ was condemning the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees who were basically saying like, hey, we got this this lineage, this ethnic uh, connection. And we're, we're like, we don't even have to do anything uh, like what you've been preaching and teaching around. And Jesus brings the prophets before them. And they say, oh, we, we wouldn't have been like that. 
I actually say this all the time about people, one of the prophets that came to uh, America, Martin Luther King. He's quoted so much now, nobody liked him at that time. Everybody's all excited about what Martin Luther King had to say now and everything else. And if I was back then, I would have, no, you wouldn't. And Jesus had words like that for the people in Matthew chapter 23. He said, you're going to live up to your ancestors. I send you prophets and I'm sending you wise men, I'm sending you scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. And some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. Did that come true or did that come true? You guys remember Stephen in Acts chapter seven? He said the same thing. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Stephen's word to the people was, hey, they doing the exact same thing that your forefathers did. You did the same thing. You just killed the Messiah. You killed Jesus. And you know what's crazy is he just keeping it real. And what is he saying at that time? If you repent and believe in him, you're forgiven of that. You put a nail, you put nails in his hands. You pierced his eyes. You put him on a cross. You put him in a grave, but you couldn't keep him there because God had designed that he would have problems and that he would endure through that and that he would stay in the grave, but that the Holy Spirit of God would resurrect him and forgive you of all of your sin. Literally, that's the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. God is persuading us to be patient like the prophets before us. When God makes them like us or like them in our suffering, you know what? He also wants us to be like them in our steadfastness. That's the point. I don't think that we need to run out of here, be really excited to go get beat on <laughs> or to go be, uh, egg, you know, ran out of town per se. I love Ventura. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> I don't come from a place that is so open and so wide and so beautiful and the weather's always so nice and all of that. It's hot, muggy, stuffy. We on top of each other. And it's like, you know, you're kind of watching your back from town block to block. People ask me all the time, where you live? I'm like, all right, on Thiel. You know, I, I rep all of my address and everything. I, there was a time in my life where I didn't want nobody to know where I live because I'm guilty by association. <laughs> I don't think we need to be excited just because like, Oh, yeah, I'm one of I'm a person of Christ and I should be persecuted. No, a lot of times we get persecuted because of our arrogance and ignorance. Right. We're just the kind of people who go on and we're so rude. And it's like nobody wants that. He didn't call us to be like stinky Christians. Right. So I'm not trying to push us there, but I do want us to realize he wants us to grow in our steadfastness. He wants us to grow, y'all. He wants us to be patient and he doesn't want us to, um, you know, to waste our suffering. I took all that time because he said, you know, I want you to recall the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I think it's very important that we also identify that like he's talking about suffering for righteousness sake. Yeah. He's talking about suffering as a person who rightly relates to God and goes and follows what God calls him to do. Your family, your friends, right? Your coworkers, whatever they might think you're weird. They may push you out of the family, the whole nine. And the truth is, is that is because you relate to Jesus Christ, not for any other reason. All right. 
It's important for us to understand that. And then even to look back to John chapter 15. Here's what Jesus said. I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me, and I in you, and you bear much fruit. We all know that. Toward the end of the chapter, he says this. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, talking about the systems, the way of life. Because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, then they'll also keep yours. That's been true for 2000 years. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Remember the prophets who spoke the word of the Lord. Jesus is saying it's going to happen to us and we'll suffer on account of him because they do not know him and they don't know the father who sent him. That's John chapter 15, verses 18 to 21. James takes us back to verse 11 and he says, Behold, we consider those who bless, who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I think Barry knows right now that I have a whole sermon on Job. So does Carlos. That's why Carlos is giving me the, all right, you can't, you can't get into that. I want you to go back and read the book of Job. The reflection this week is read 30, Job 38 to Job 42. But you know enough about Job to know that he had people to come to him. He was known as the most righteous man. He lived at the time of Abraham. So this is a person who, if you live at the time of Abraham and the Bible calls you one of the most righteous in the land, that's saying a lot about you. Sacrificing on behalf of his kids because I don't know what they do when, they, when, they, when they're partying. They're not here. So God, here's a burnt offering on behalf of my children who might be sinning, right? And one day he wakes up and a servant comes and says, hey, all of your wealth is gone. All your sheep. Somebody came through, slaughtered, killed, took. Another person, before he could even stop talking, hey, fire came and burned down all your barns. Another person came, hey, you lost all your livestock. Hey, when the fire came, it actually killed your children too. And his wife comes to him and said, man, you need to curse God and just die. He said, you sound silly. How can I accept good from the Lord and not the bad? How can I not be patient through suffering? Then he has all these friends that come up. Hey, man, you must be in sin. You're not naming it and claiming it. You're not prospering because you're not like something's, something's not right. Right. They're saying these things to him for 30 chapters and he's going against them. And he has a, a fourth friend that says, hey, man, what those dudes are not saying is right. But the way you respond is stop being so self-righteous. <laughs> and then 38 to 42. That's for your homework. Here's the main point for us in this. You've seen the purpose which essentially means you've seen the outcome. Job couldn't turn to Job 40. Jeremiah could not read Jeremiah the way that we read Jeremiah. He didn't even get to live to see the life of the Messiah that he was preaching would come. James is telling us, you know, the purpose, you know, the end, you know, the aim, you know, the fate. You know where it's going. The final destination of our patience and our steadfastness through trial is the compassion and the mercy of God. Do you believe that? That God will show himself faithful, compassionate and merciful through trials, 
even if those things take all you got, including your life, that the final destination that we get to is what? The compassion and mercy of God. The final salvation of your and my soul was purchased by a suffering servant who went to the cross and died as a substitute. We just sang about that. The purpose of it all, the end of it all, the reason for it is not just so that you can walk around and now you have a card of patience in your pocket. No, you experience the compassion and you can experience the mercy, right? God is very, he, he pities us and he cares. He's moved from the inside. There's, there's no way to explain it other than he just, he, he will do everything in order to save us. He's merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. The end of all things is that if you wake up in eternity and you look at God in paradise and he accepts you and he receives you there. Oh, my goodness. That's a mercy because you do not deserve it. But Jesus Christ died. As a substitute, as the lamb of God, worthy, worthy, worthy. We just sang about it. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. He's worthy of our praise because what? He's compassionate and he's merciful and he has given us a gift, the gift of eternal life. Jesus would go on in John chapter 16 to say in this world, affliction you will have, but take heart. I myself have overcome the world in this world. You will have affliction, but take heart. Jesus Christ has overcome it all. He overcame it at the cross. He overcame it in death. He overcame it in the resurrection. He overcame it in his ascension. He's still overcoming it, sitting on the throne right now, interceding for us. And he will overcome it finally at the second revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes and he shows himself to be the lion from the tribe of Judah and the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He overcame. In this life, you will have trials. But take heart, be of good courage, be patient through your problems and your suffering because Jesus Christ has overcome it all. I'd like to ask a few of you to pray right now. Pray prayers of confession of where you're lacking a trust in this. Some of the reflection questions say, are you trusting God even though you may not understand your circumstances? How do you know you need to grow in this? Do you realize that pain is unavoidable in this life, but it's not final? I want us to pray, pray prayers of confession and pray prayers of gratitude for that gospel that we have that tells us that God's not leaving us to ourselves.